can big data save us from gun violence? Today on the podcast, we'll hear from the man who thinks it can, the new head of the ATF, Stephen Dettelbach. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So on today's program, we've got a man whose boss's boss is the president of the United States. Stephen Dettelbach is the head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, also known as the ATF. He assumed that position two months ago after a lengthy confirmation battle in the Senate, one in which he only garnered 48 yes votes. However, that's still a pretty significant accomplishment given that ATF has been without a Senate-confirmed leader since the middle of the last decade. And that lengthy period without a leader is no doubt largely due to the contentiousness of the public debate over guns, which shows no sign of cooling down anytime soon. Bloomberg Law reporter Courtney Rosen spoke to Dettelbach in his office in D.C., which, for what it's worth, seemed to be fully furnished and unpacked. Courtney asked the former federal prosecutor how he's going to solve a problem as intractable and as political as gun violence with an agency that's not as big as you might think. So obviously we have a, a real problem we're facing right now. Uh, with respect to gun violence. Gun deaths are rising. Uh, mass shootings are rising. Violent extremism is rising, uh, often involving firearms or explosives or arson. Um, and so anybody walking into this building, whether you're the confirmed director or somebody who's just coming to work at ATF every day, has a massive concern about trying to meet that problem. It, we do that in a bunch of different ways. Uh, One of them is the old-fashioned partnerships we have with state and local law enforcement, uh, which is sort of the calling card of ATF. ATF's a small agency. So just over in between five and 6,000 people, by definition, you can't do it alone. That's a different business model. Much other federal agencies are, are far bigger. So we work together with state and locals on task forces in local jurisdictions, and that can look totally different in Chicago than it looks in Phoenix and it looks in Dayton, Ohio. And then there's incredibly exciting newer things that are going on uh, involving gun crime intelligence or crime gun intelligence. Crime gun intelligence uh, is just a fancy way of saying that we can find out more in terms of evidence from a firearm than we ever have been able to in the history of uh, crime fighting. And that involves both the thing that comes out the front of the gun and the expended cartridge casing that comes out the back of the gun, which modern microscopy now allows us to analyze and e-tracing, so the ability to electronically trace a firearm. And then you also have other forms of data which you can overlay Uh, to map where crimes are occurring uh, and then direct resources to those places. Talking about federally licensed firearm dealers, the shops that people can go into and purchase, um, can you talk about what your plans are for improving checks on those um, shops, whether it's, you know, are they following rules? Are they following paperwork disclosure requirements? I mean, how do you step that up? You were talking about how your staff is 5,000 or so people. There's a lot of shops in this country. Um, What's the the process and the strategy there? So we have uh, just a little bit shy, I think, of 1,000 and 7,800 industry operations investigators uh, to do the work of uh, inspecting many, many, many federally licensed firearms dealers. Um, And you're right, that is a, a daunting task. 
in uh, the president's budget, the president has proposed uh, increasing ATS budget. Part of that would go to an increased number of individuals who are industry operations investigators. Uh, in the meantime, we're we're going to continue to try to do our best to to inspect federally licensed firearms dealers and to see whether there are uh, things that need to be improved or changed with with each licensee. Now, I will say the the vast majority of FFLs uh, are lawful and law-abiding businesses. And actually, they provide a partnership to ATF on a variety of different matters, uh, whether it's general programs that we try to educate people, uh, don't lie for the other guy is one of the programs we work with them on, or uh, providing intelligence and information to ATF on people who are trying to do things that arouse suspicions. Uh, There are uh, some minority of, of federally licensed firearms dealers who are not doing those things and who are not in compliance with the law. And it's our job with our limited resources to try our best to target and identify where we can do the most good to either help people improve or hold them accountable for following the law, and that's what we're going to do. I know there's been reporting about the inspections needing to happen more frequently every three years or every four years, and in some places it's taking seven um, just because of the sheer number of shops versus your number of investigators. When you talk about picking where you can have the most impact, what does that mean? How do you work on that number? Uh, so like all law enforcement, uh, whether it's investigating uh, shootings or investigating narcotics dealing or investigating white collar crime or in investigating compliance with regulations, you, you need to be able to let the data guide you as to where you, you need to spend your resources. So that's what we try to do and we'll continue to try to do better at here at ATF, right? To look at data that talk about trends of enforcement and compliance and try our best to focus our resources based on the data uh, on the, the, the places and businesses that present the most risk to public safety. Does that data have any connection when you're talking about gun deaths in urban cities versus rural areas when you're trying to decide where to focus your resources? What, what are those data points exactly? Yeah, so one of the interesting things we're doing is we're doing a better job in law enforcement in general, and certainly here at ATF, at using crime gun intelligence and crime data to target enforcement. So when I started out, uh, my career is I'm a former prosecutor before this. When I started in the early 90s, you know, uh, people would talk about cities that had high crime rates uh, or maybe, you know, uh, big hunks of a city where there were crime issues. That is way different than we are now. Now we're not talking about cities or neighborhoods. We're talking about corners, buildings, and blocks where that may change over time where there are specific crime threats. Um, and we're able to focus resources, law enforcement resources, better than we have before. We're also able to use the, the tools that we have, whether it's, uh, as I told you, sort of crime gun intelligence data or cameras, right? in combination with partnerships to, to be better at targeting resources. And the old sort of notion of the, the sort of grumpy old desk sergeant that pounds his head and says, work the east side or work the west side, that's not where we are anymore. Now you go into a room 
that is filled with 20, 30-something incredibly smart computer analysts who are crunching their screens, looking at, at uh, video feeds, and coming up with reports which have colors overlaid over specific buildings and blocks, which then get fed into a commander's decision-making. And I am not, myself, an intelligence analyst, so I can't do it justice, um, but I see the, the, the end result of that work, and it's really impressive. That was ATF Director Stephen Dettelbach speaking with Bloomberg Law's Courtney Rosen. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.